Well, hello, church. Good to see you again. Uh, hello. Um, as many of you know, we're in the middle of a series that Nate's had us on, the, the truth about me, and it's really a series of exploring identity. Who am I? Who, 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 who am I? What does Scripture say about me? Uh, and we've been doing that through a series of sermons where it's answering that, uh, filling in the blank kind of, I am. Um, and so a couple of weeks ago, we heard uh, Nate preach about, I am a warrior. Uh, last week, we heard uh, Pastor Steve, Nate's father, talk about, I am loved. Um, today, we're going to talk about, I am a servant, right? Oh, boy, that's not quite the same as I am loved, right? Or I am a warrior. And so I, I just want to tell you, it's good to be here with you. Nate is actually, he's practicing what he preaches uh, he really teaches us and talks about valuing family. And right now he is taking one of his sons to college and going to see him off to football camp uh, for the first part of this uh, football season. And so they're spending some time together. Um, but I'm a servant. That, it's like I, I was just in a group of kids a couple weeks ago, and they were being asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they had some funny responses. One that I remember was uh, a girl, she looked at the guy who asked her the question and she just kind of paused and she said, well, I, w I want to be me. <laughs> well, that's, that's appropriate. <laughs> that works. You know, my wife is a school teacher and when uh, internet was new, she was teaching kids how to use it and how to do research. And so they were researching their names. And one of them uh, was a Hispanic uh, kid, and his last name meant servant. And he's like, that sucks. I don't want to be a servant, right? Right? Nobody, nobody just says, oh, man, I'll... That's my life's goal is to just be a servant. It's contrary to our human nature. And I think that's part of why scripture talks so much about it. Anytime that we see a dominant theme in scripture, uh, it just shows up from cover to cover. And this calling to be a servant shows up from cover to cover. Unfortunately, our culture in the world would love to give us lots of substitutes for that. There's all kinds of, you, you can tell where somebody's getting their identity, right? By spending a little time with them. And maybe they'll talk about a football team nonstop. That's what, you know, maybe there's a, an NBA team or somebody or a band. Um, oh, it can be as simple as this. I was in a restaurant a couple of days ago and I heard a song. Maybe you've heard this. I don't know if it's new or not, but it just cracked me up. But it's, it's like, I'm more rednecker than you. That's like, that's, that's a song about identity though, right? He said, my truck's louder than your truck. My hometown is smaller than yours. I've got a camo hat on, you know, but that's like, so if you go to that guy and you say to him something about, ah, oh, you look like a townie to me. Ooh, yeah. You know, because it, it, it's an identity that's being challenged. We find identity in lots of things and we use it oftentimes to create division. Uh, you're in or you're out. I love motorcycles, and I have this big, black, loud, shiny bike. It's just, it's just big and tough, so therefore I must be too, right? But my, my bike, it's just like it 
It just, it just kind of flatulates down the highway, you know. And, and, and there's a fraternity among bikers. So everybody on two wheels is better than anybody who's not. That's the starting place of that fraternity. But if you're a rider, you know this, that the hierarchy goes up to these flatulating bikes that, you know, though these are the biggest, the baddest, the toughest bikes. And so when you come across another flatulator, what do you do? You, you, you lower your hand and give him a wave and he'll nod and do the same. And you go on, both content in your hip and coolness and your toughness, right? Well, I have another bike that is, it's a, it's a dual sport and I love it. It is snappy and it just, uh, you know, and I can ride across fields or I can ride across town and it just kind of does it all and I love it. Well, and I just ride both of them quite a bit. Well, sometimes I'll be on my dual sport and I'll, I'm not thinking about what bike I'm on, I'm just riding and I'll see another flatulator coming. And so I'll lower my hand in a wave to him and he's like, it's hilarious the looks at, you know, muscled up and tattooed and it's like, I would never wave to you, you know? <laughs> and, and then I remember, oh yeah, I'm on the, I'm on the shiny white, you know, pastel colored bike, you know? And, but you, there's something in there that, that really speaks of identity. The, this guy's, he's not waving to, the, he's, I'm just not going to fall inside of his, what he feels is where his identity is rooted. I'm challenging that identity even by waving to him from a subpar bike. And I, I think that this is something that really uh, shows up in our culture in lots of ways. I have, uh, have a number of nieces and nephews, and I uh, secretly, over the years, have many times co-opted them um, uh, because I just have a, I love good stories. and. I don't know if anybody tells stories much better than Disney, but it's kind of weird for a grown man to go in and watch a princess movie or a cartoon about a lion or something. So I take my niece and nephew and then everybody's fine. And, uh, but one of the things that I've seen over the years is that Disney is in the building business of building identity for our kids. One of the things that you'll see, if you've seen a Disney film, uh, prove me wrong, but the, it all you get through four fifths of the movie, and then the main character, whether it's Aladdin or whether it's a mermaid, uh, looks deep within themselves and finds the courage, finds the answer, finds whatever it is by looking deep within themselves. The problem with that is that Scripture tells us. Well, Jeremiah. Jeremiah is probably the best. In Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah says that if you look deep within yourself, what you're going to find is horse manure. That's a paraphrase, a rough paraphrase. But what he actually says is that the heart is deceitful and wicked above all else. Who can know it? And he goes on to tell us that only God can look into our hearts and see where we are. But our culture, absolutely guaranteed, wants to tell you who you are. And our culture is not going to tell you that you are a servant. But that is what scripture tells us. Scripture says this is one of the highest goals that we can aim for is to be a servant, that this is what Jesus did. One of the places that we see this most clearly is in the book of Philippians. Philippians is written by the Apostle Paul, and interestingly enough, it's a book that is almost entirely associated with joy. When, if you look at a commentary on this, I have never seen, I probably in preparing for this, I looked at a commentary from 20, 25 sources. Every single one of them talks about the joy-filled nature 
of Philippians. And yet, the core of this book is about being a servant. And um, part of what Paul is writing to address is that there's some conflict in the Philippian church. And it doesn't, we don't get a lot of details. It doesn't sound like it's this a full-blown schism or a church split. It just sounds like the church is not functioning in unity. And so Paul is writing to the church to talk to them about being in unity. And one of the first things, well, not one of the first things, but one of the things that he highlights in chapter 3, uh, verse 20, is he says that we are called to be ambassadors. In fact, he tells the Philippian church, your citizenship is not of this earth. It's in Heaven, you are heavenly citizens. And so you need to behave like that and you are ambassadors. Your job is to represent Christ to those around you. You're, you're an ambassador representing the king of where your citizenship actually lies. I, um, I have a real fondness for, uh, well, I don't know how else to put it. I love shooting small forest animals and eating them. Um, and uh, uh, to do that, I also have a real uh, fondness for firearms. And so I, and I pay for my firearms uh, by getting uh, old or non-functioning firearms, fixing them up and selling them to buy the ones I want. So when I'm at a gun show or when I'm at a garage sale or somewhere and somebody says, hey, you want to take a look at this gun? Yeah, I do. Um, and I'll pull that out. But the core, the heart of any firearm is its barrel. It's the last thing that a bullet is going to touch before it goes and it's the one thing that can make it fly true and straight so I'm very interested in that bore and so I usually pull one of my business cards out of my wallet and I'll hold it so that I can catch the best light I'll look for the sun if I'm outside or a strong light and I'll get it down at the base of that bore the in the barrel and I'll hold that barrel up and it is amazing it's like having a flashlight if any of you have done it you know what I mean but it that business card, that white business card, just reflects that. And I can look in there and check what that bore is like, if there's flaws and imperfections. It doesn't mean that I don't want it. It just means that now I have an idea of what it's going to take to make this a viable firearm. This is what Jesus, this is what scripture says is one of our jobs, is that we're to be reflecting the light, the light, Jesus Christ into our world. It's not that Jesus doesn't want the world, but it, he lets us see what, what's actually in there. And then Jesus can get to work on it and begin to clean things up and fix them. And so we are called to be these ambassadors that say, okay, I'm going to represent the world. And our, this, is, this is juxtaposed with everything in us. I have a, a good friend. His name is Mark, uh, uh, Mark Hansen. And uh, he just serves everywhere he goes. But it doesn't, it's like the world doesn't know what to do with this. Mark, um, he shovels snow for widows in the winter. In fact, he told me, I would hope somebody would do that for my wife. But he doesn't, Mark washes dishes. If you've been a part of this church for more than a couple months and if you've eaten here, chances are that Mark washed your plates and washed your forks. And uh, he is constantly out serving. And um, when I travel quite a bit and when I'm gone, uh, we, my wife and I have a cat and uh, she just loves that thing and so we, Mark comes over and to 
pet the cat. I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but we call Mark and he comes over and pets the cat. And, uh, um, uh, and then he'll shoot pictures of the cat. He'll like check our mail and there'll be a gun magazine there. And so he'll open it up and have the cat look at, like the cat's reading the mail and he'll send us a pet, you know, a picture of this goofy cat. And um, the, the other day, uh, something happened though. I was working here and uh, I just had a lot on my plate and it came time for me to go on a trip and my lawn was starting to get tall and we rent and just in our neighborhood. I just wanted to look nice for the neighbors. And so I said, hey, Mark, can I give you some money? Can you mow the lawn? I hate to ask you this, but he said, yeah, no problem. Well, my wife and I showed up at home and uh, Mark had mowed the lawn and he had taken the money and he had gone and bought plants and there were flowers around and the, and the, our very neglected uh, 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 just plant places were all overgrown with weeds and he had weeded those out, bought plants and put them in there. Well, so that's wonderful and what it did for us was amazing. Here's an interesting thing. I've got some uh, neighbors and uh, the neighbors came to me and said, who's that guy? Why would, what's going on? They know we're not paying a gardener, right? So who's this guy that would just show up and do this? Well, it's, it doesn't make sense in the eyes and the mind of the world. And it gives me an opportunity to talk about why my friend Mark would do something like that. Identity is a tough and tricky thing. The world wants to weave itself into us in all kinds of ways. And when the world is encountered with something that doesn't make sense, we have to stop and say, whoa, what's going on there? I have a good friend. Uh, he, he, um, his name is Justin. And Justin was a phenomenal, like, like literally like world class uh, for that age, uh, high school athlete. He had, his mom told me later, he had boxes of letters from Division I schools for track football and basketball. He could have gone anywhere he wanted, studied anything he wanted. He chose Stanford. He went there, set records that the last I checked uh, still stand. He played football there for Walsh and um, later then went on into the NFL. He played for a handful of teams and uh, uh, Elway actually told the Broncos he wanted Denver, wanted Jason with them. And so he ended up playing for the Broncos and won a Super Bowl with them, and uh, I knew none of this. I met him down in Mexico. My wife and I served there for a couple of years, and uh, um, I met him down there and went to his house. I was probably at his house like four or five times. We became good friends, and, uh, and I was there when some other people were there, and they said, hey, Justin, what was it like playing with so-and-so? And I'm like, why would you ask Justin what it's like to play with so-and-so? And, and Justin said, oh, yeah, I spend a little time in the NFL. I'm like, what? You know, if I had actually been to a Super Bowl, I'd have the t-shirt, the hat. You would all know that I had just been to a Super Bowl. Here's a guy that played in the NFL, had a strong career, uh, won a Super Bowl, and I've been at his house five times and don't know it. There's nothing on the walls. In fact, one time my wife and I went in to visit. Uh, he and his uh, wife, we used to, uh, they let, Brenda and I, we led a Bible study there. And so we... We went in and Justin was doing dishes and they had a cool kitchen. Um, floors were all cement in the whole house because that's just how we do it in Mexico. And cool kitchen with a, uh, a backstop behind it that went up high and then there was a shelf up behind that. So Brenda and I came in we stepped up on this high shelf and then got up on high stools and we're looking down. 
uh, watching Justin do dishes because that's how we serve. We watch people work. And, uh, um, and there's a box on this counter. And so I'm here, Justin's there doing dishes. And I say, Justin, what's this box? It's amazing. It had like this etched glass lid and it was just fancy scroll work on the box. It, just the box was very expensive box. Uh, and he says, oh, it's just, uh, it's just a Super Bowl ring. And I said, can I look? Well, yeah, he says, go ahead. So I flip the lid open and here's this ring. It's, the, it's about the size of a Christmas ham. Um, and it was like, I can't remember what Super Bowl it was, but it, it was like 40 something. And there was a diamond on it for each one. The big horseshoe logo thing was just huge. And like you do when you're holding a Super Bowl ring, I did the same thing. I slipped it on my finger. And uh, wow, you know, I show it to my wife. You know, doesn't that look like it kind of belongs there, babe? And, uh, and so I get done playing with it and I, I wait till Justin has got his head bent down and I lick it, right? Get all in there. I so finally I confess and Justin reaches up, gives me a little dollop of soap on it. And so I get the soap in there. And it comes off. Oh, and it's like in a bad movie, right? I can hear my wife's voice, but it's like when they do it in slow motion, it's like, oh no. And, and it makes this nice parabolic arc and we just watch it. And it comes down and it hits that concrete floor and it goes tink, 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 tink. Oh, Justin, I said, and I jump up and I go and grab it. And sure enough, there's a little snarf on it. And fortunately, all the diamonds were in place. And I was like, Justin, I'm so sorry. Justin, we're going to get this fixed. And he's, he, he never quits doing this. He says, shut up, put it in the box. It's a ring, he said. <laughs> Is that man's identity in being a football star? Even a little bit? Now, here's what I begin to discover about him the more I got to know him is that Justin's priorities were serving his family, serving his community. He had some kids, awesome kids. He had a great wife and he poured into them. And they were actually in Mexico because he was taking the money that he had earned playing with a piece of leather and was investing it in a community there that had a serious, serious drug problem. It was a small town with nothing. Uh, for youth to do and he and his wife I kid you not they built an, an honestly true and they brought in a guy who this is what he does for a living and they built a world-class skate park um, and an exercise center in that tiny little fishing village so that those kids would have something to do and Justin took his skills that he had with training and he began to leverage them to give him inroads to talk about the gospel with kids and he began training kids and running a skate park for them in Mexico, tiny little village, no press, no movies, no, no news crews. And, and so when the world sees that, when they see somebody that says, I'm going to serve, it juxtaposes with that, I'm gonna look within me, find this great strength, I'm gonna win, look at me, I'm a flatulator. It's a completely different worldview, isn't it? And, and so this is what I wanna talk about today. Um, could we read uh, Philippians uh, 2? I'm going to read about nine verses here, eight verses. Um, and then we'll, I just want to walk through them a little bit. But first of all, I do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. 
Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Um, I want to look at five steps of uh, being being an ambassador to Christ through serving. Um, Could we pull up uh, Philippians 2.3? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. It's saying that we should have this outward focus, that how we, how we live should be startling to the world. That, that like my friend Justin or like my friend Mark, that people will ask questions. If I'm to be an ambassador, Jesus is saying, this is your tool for ambassadorship. This is the best way that you can represent me. Um, Serving does a couple of things. I think it's a great tool to do that. Serving is also a great tool for training up children. Nobody, I never have seen a parent that said, I wanna raise a selfish little brat, right? Have you ever seen one though? Yeah, it just kind of happens naturally that we have to do things that are contrary and we have to choose to raise up children that aren't. One of the best tools that I have ever seen has been parents who choose to put their kids into serving situations. We do something around here in the summer, uh, early summer, we just finished our last one called Tuesdays on the Town. I absolutely love seeing families that come and serve as a family. When you see three, four kids, one kid with a parent, uh, single moms, I just, we have seen so many single moms, which I think, single moms are my biggest heroes. I don't know how they do it. But to see a single mom that says, I want my child to understand that they are a servant, that they are designed, created to serve others, and recognizing what that does in a child is amazing. And so they go and they do these Tuesdays on the town. We have serve opportunities through the church, and those are awesome. The reality is is that we have all these local partners who are all looking for people who are willing to commit and people who are willing to come and serve. we just did a crow camp and same thing, whole families, large families, some of them, going and serving out on the crow reservation and doing two things. It was really fascinating to see them loving and serving. They ran a carnival in Lodge Grass and it was very successful. Lots of people came and lots of people got to hear the good news. And uh, the other thing that happened was Serving breaks down barriers, and it was amazing to see Crow elders and leaders teaching them about Crow culture and about um, what it's like to be on this reservation, and it was awesome to see this exchange happening, but all happened through a vehicle of serving. One other thing that I would 
say. Um, my wife and I have been married 16 years, I think, this month. And uh, we, were, we were old geezers when we got married. Um, but uh, we, we are like every other married couple in this room in that we have highs and lows, things that we're good at and things that we're not. One of the things that we have absolutely discovered, and I, this is, doesn't seem very romantic, I know, but I have discovered that the times that I feel most closest to my wife, where I feel energized, I feel excited, are the times that we have served together. And sometimes it is exhausting. And it doesn't matter if it's a spiritual warfare situation where uh, neighbors are going through a hard time and we sit with them and we open up the word and we contend for them and we pray for them. Or if we're painting a fence out at the boys and girls uh, ranch out here, we get done and we look at each other and it's like, yeah. It, it, I can't explain it, but I think the reason why is because it's not natural, it's supernatural. Or as our good friend Yaz said a couple of weeks, sobrenatural. <laughs> but, but it is just something that God says, I'm going to build you two together. When you invest outward, I'm going to build you inward. So this would be my challenge to you. If you're in a marriage and it feels like it's, it's a tough season right now, or if you've got kids and it's it's tough. I would ask you, where are you serving? Are you committed someplace regularly? Um, the irony, of course, is that we serve outwardly, but we get blessed inwardly. Um, I want to look at the, a key to this. Uh, could we read uh, Philippians 2.5? Philippians 2.5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, this is a consistent theme throughout Scripture. And basically what Paul is saying is that what he's asking us to do isn't difficult. It is actually impossible. It cannot be done apart from having the mind of Christ. It is a supernatural endeavor. And if I say, I want to just be good at this, I'm going to serve, eventually, and I've done it, eventually I end up being resentful. People ask things of me that I'm getting more and more drained, but not being filled up. And eventually there's nothing left to give, but it doesn't mean people quit asking. And then I get resentful, then I get crabby, then I get stubborn. The antidote to that is to not be doing this in my own mind or in my own strength, but to be taking on the mind of Christ. Paul, in another book, Romans chapter 12, he writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship, which is your spiritual worship. Interesting. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. That our minds have to be transformed. Um, so a key piece, but I wanna go on uh, to Philippians 2, 6 and 7. This is referring to Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. By taking the form of a servant, the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. I, I read that. I've read it thousands of times since I was a boy. I, I have no idea how many times I've read it. Um, but I've read it enough that it's interesting to lose sight of the fact that who we're talking about here is the creator of the universe. Uh, in fact, the New Testament writers say that in him and through him, everything was created and made. 
He is king and lord of the entire universe. And he came to this planet. And he didn't come as a king. He came as a servant. And it's interesting too. He didn't just send good thoughts. I mean, he could have done that, right? Hey, I'm, I'm sending good thoughts your way. No, he came. He came and dwelt among us as a servant. Um, for 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, Though rich he became poor for your sake so that, his pov- so that in his poverty you might become rich. Rick Warren is a pastor in Southern California, has a, a big church there, and uh, occasionally has some pretty interesting things to say. Um, I came across about a 90-second video of him being interviewed, and uh, he said a couple of things that were just jarring. Um, and they make sense, though, in an immediate kind of way. He was being interviewed, and um, he, he said hundreds of conferences. He says there's hundreds of conferences and books on being a leader, not many on being a servant. I don't know if it's because we think we're naturally good at it or if it just doesn't sound very interesting. But you can go right now, get on your phone and type in leadership conferences. They'll show up all over. But try and find a servant conference. There just aren't that many. He goes on and he says, everybody talks about being a servant leader. So that's great. I mean, that, that makes sense, right? That you, you would want leaders to uh, be servant leaders. And he said, how about just being a servant? How would that be? Don't worry about being a servant leader, he said. Just be a servant. He said, if you're a servant, you will have all kinds of opportunities to lead. Just focus on being a servant. And he went on and he said, Jesus didn't talk about being a leader. He spoke about being a servant. He said, I came to serve and to give my life for many. Um, And then uh, 1 John 3.16 we know, for, we know John 3.16 real well, for God so loved that he sent his only begotten son. First John 3.16 says, by this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. In other words, love is what love does. I've come up with something. I want you to tell me. I need your honest feedback. Let me know what you think of this. I think it's going to be great on T-shirts and bumper stickers and all that, though. Serving is your superpower. Or maybe like... My superpower is serving. Can you imagine though? But I think it's really true that this is, you know, maybe that's what that S stands for, servant. Right? That, That there is something about serving that it unlocks doors. It knocks down barriers. It opens doors and it creates avenues. When Mark comes and does my lawn, it creates opportunities. Mark doesn't even know this. I haven't even told him. He doesn't even know. But it creates opportunities for me to share with my neighbors about the goodness of God and why a man like Mark, who owes me absolutely nothing, who has lots of other stuff to be doing, comes, takes the money I gave him for doing it, buys plants and puts them in my yard. It doesn't make sense. That's the beauty of it. It doesn't make sense. It only makes kingdom sense. And so... um, One of the other things I want to mention about this is that we're not automatically good at this. I think one of the things we don't talk enough about in church is process, 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 process. If you're a visitor today, first of all, I'm so glad you're here. 
But I want you to know that every single person in this room who has said yes to Jesus Christ is in process. None of us are naturally good at this. That we come and we surrender our lives to the Lord. And it's a process of growing in being a good servant. Mark happens to be a highly accomplished servant. He would be the first to tell you that he's still growing. That he has so much to learn in this. Um, with that in mind... Romans 14.4, I just want to mention this. It says, who are you to judge another servant? I have to confess that sometimes I look at some of my brothers and sisters in Christ and I think, oh, why didn't they serve this way? Why didn't they do it that way? How come they're doing this? Scripture over and again reminds us, they are not my servants. I don't get to think that. I don't get to tell them that. They're God's servants and they report to him, not to me. And so for me, it's just a reminder that in this community that we call church, that we're all on this very level playing field and that we all report to one master and we're his servants. So one other thought on serving. If you're new at this or if you're saying, okay, Glenn, I hear you, but I, where would I start? What would I do? I'm allergic to cats, right? So I can't be Mark, okay? Who, <laughs> incidentally, this is crazy. I just remembered he is allergic to cats. He's not real, um, this guy. But you can pray. And I think this is a prayer that the Lord loves to answer. He loves to say, when he hears somebody say, hey, how can I serve? My wife and I were in a community uh, before we moved here where uh, a young man hung himself. He was in seventh grade. And... Oh, it's a small community. Everybody knows everybody. We know the tree, right? And, uh, and so I started asking God. I said, I don't think this is your great plan for seventh graders. I was mad. I don't think that, that seventh graders hanging themselves was your design. And, but your word tells me that I'm to be a servant, that I'm to be a light in my community. I'm to be reflecting, representing you. How, Lord, what does it look like? And I prayed like this for several days. I was just throughout the day, I'm praying. Um, and I was selling real estate to support my pastoring habit at a small church in this town. And one day my phone rang after I'd been praying this a few days and I picked it up and it was a guy I knew. He was the athletic director of the school and of the high school. And he said, he said, Glenn, would you be willing to coach basketball? I thought, Man, I had a, I thought I was going to make a living playing basketball at one point. It was a foolish pipe dream, but I love that game. And I was like, hmm. And he went on. He said, uh, we need a girls C team ball coach. And in my mind, I'm replaying this where I've been saying, Lord, what, how can I serve in my community? I'm hearing that. And the first thing, I wish this weren't true, but the first thing, I'm on the phone with him, and this is playing in my mind. I thought, what else do you have, Lord? I, I, I mean, well, and then it gets better. He said, yeah, your wife is going to, she worked at the school. Your wife is going to be your head coach, and we need you to be her assistant. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what. It is one of the best things we ever did. First of all, it took my wife and I, and it put us serving together which was amazing. The other thing that it did was, these girls were horrible. I mean, like you can't imagine how bad. And we went undefeated, which means there were about eight teams worse than us. It boggles the mind. But we fell in love with those girls. I remember one time, I'm, 
my, we're on the sidelines and my wife is standing up and she's got a clipboard in her hand and she's yelling and she's waving. And I'm like, I reach over and I tug on her shirt. Babe, this is C-team girls ball. Sit down, you know. I kid you not. Two minutes later, I rip my hat off. I'm pounding it on the floor. I'm yelling. And she's like, babe, babe, this is C-team girls ball. But man, when I would walk through the halls of that school to have girls running up and going, coach, coach, look at this, look at this, I got an A in physics, or coach, hey, can I talk to you about this? That's, I think, God's plan to make sure that seventh graders don't hang themselves, is that somebody invests in them, somebody comes alongside them in the name of Jesus and says, I love you, I care about you, and I'm going to invest in you. We're we're not dangerously close to being late. We're already past, but I got one more story that, that you need to know. I, I preached here sometime in the spring, and after I was done speaking, um, I just asked people to, in, in, invited people to say yes to Jesus. And um, later I was in the atrium, and there was a little fellow about this old, and uh, he came to me, and his mom came and said, hey, my son wants to talk to you, and uh, I said, yeah. So I, I knelt down and I'm looking him in the eye and said, I raised my hand, but I was too small. You couldn't see me. And I said, oh my gosh. I said, I see you now. I said, the Lord sees you. And he was so, he was, he was so sharp and he was very clear about what he was saying yes to. And so we talked for a bit. And then I said, I need to get you connected with one of our children's pastors. So we were walking down. And then another gentleman came to me with a whole different look in his eyes. It was uh, it was a look of angst, I think, is the best way to say it. And he had, uh, he had his kids with him. And he said, can I talk to you? And uh, I said, let me help get this guy connected. And I came back, and he was still there. I was so afraid he was going to be gone, but he wasn't. There was something on his heart, and he wanted to talk. And so we went into a room, and we sat down. And he said, years ago, many years ago, he said, I, I knew the Lord, but... I made bad choices. And he went on to list them, and they were bad choices. And he's saying this in front of his girls, and, uh, um, and he's very distraught. And he looked at me and he said, can I come back? And I just broke down and said, absolutely. This is the heart of God for you. And we opened up the word, and, and we're both just crying. And, and he said, will you pray for me? I said, it's better than that. You don't need me to pray for you. You can pray for you. Just tell God what you just told me, that you want to be in relationship with him. And he said, I do. And he just started praying to God. And, and there was this change over him. And we prayed together again. And, uh, and then I didn't see him for a couple of weeks. When I show up here for church on Sundays, I usually park in the back and come in. But a couple Sundays ago, several Sundays ago, I walked in through the front door. There he is. He's at the front door. Huge smile on his face. He's greeting. And, and his kids are there. And they're greeting. I'm like, what? what? And the smile, it's just, beam. you can't be around this guy. So I've been around him a, a number of times since then. He is exciting to be around. Why? Because Christ came in and touched his life. And what was his first response to that? Where do I give? How do I serve? Where do I sign up? What can I do? He didn't have to be coached in that. 
it's something that just comes out of us. When we have had our lives transformed and changed by the power of the gospel, it is compelling. So here's a question that I want to ask once again. I'm going to skip a whole bunch of pages here. It's really, really good stuff, you guys. Um, and ask you a question. Now, I never sugarcoat the gospel. The gospel is wonderful. The gospel is also uh, difficult and serving costs. But one of the things I would ask you is, are you serving? Where are you serving? Do you have a regular commitment somewhere? I'm not saying this because we need more greeters at the church. We need more kids in children's care. We need more people going on mission trips. All of that is true and all of that is fine and good. I'm saying this because I believe it's God's best tool to shape you into the men and women that he needs us to be to represent him to a world that is basing its identity on motorcycles and basketball and things that will never, never, never bring them wholeness. Will you pray with me? Lord, uh, we come together and we ask, Father, that you would answer this prayer. Father, I pray anybody now that's saying, okay, Lord, where am I serving? What, how am I representing you to a lost and dying world? Lord, that you would speak specifically into their hearts and that you would tell them, you would show them what that looks like. And Lord, I pray that they would even get to see the fruit of that, that they would get to recognize that you are working through them to bring transformation in our community and around the world. Lord, would you be high and lifted up in us for your name's sake. Amen. Hey, uh, our good pastor always tells us, go and be the hands and feet and mouthpiece of Jesus. But would you go and be the business card of Jesus? Would you go and reflect his light and love to the world around us? God bless you guys. Amen. <laughs>